This is Paige, the co-host of Giggly Squad, and I want to tell you about a company that I've been loving, Olive and June. Olive and June gives you everything that you need for a salon-quality manicure in one box. And if you break it down, it really comes out to $2 a manicure, which is absolutely insane. It's also so easy to get salon-worthy nails at home with Olive and June. The difference between how your nails used to look when you did them yourself and now with the Manny system is a complete game changer. The best thing about Olive and June, too, is it's a quick dry. Dries in about one minute, lasts for five days, and full coverage in up to one to two coats. Visit oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. That's oliveandjune.com slash perfectmanny20 for 20% off your first system. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast with Benji Nyson. We're doing the Bahrain Victorious 2021 preview today. Usual structure for this team preview, starting with a brief review of their 2020 season. We'll talk about their transfers in and out for this season. Maybe some odds and ends about what's happened with the team, i.e. the name change and some sponsor changeovers. And then I think we'll select our monument teams and grand tour teams or who we have as the leaders for those various races. Is there any other things we normally speak about, Benji? Not necessarily, but I think it's the first time that we're going to be talking about the horse of the person who is investing into the team, but that will come (laughs) later with the name change. I'll talk about it now. That so the Victorious people were trying to figure out. I was looking it up. I was like, "Is this a, a bar? Any? Is it an oil company? Is it what sort of company <laughs> is this?" But apparently, the team owner owns a horse called Victorious. I tried to look it up. I don't know where the horse races, but yeah, that's that's the name. And I guess he just wanted, he just wanted to <laughs> really emphasize that it's about winning uh, cycling. So he's named the team Victorious. I mean. That will play nicely. I've got some puns ready. I'm sure Benji's got some very cringe puns ready when a Bahrain rider wins a race uh, for us to use as the title of the YouTube video for that podcast. <laughs> yes. <laughs> but their 2020 season, Benji, nine wins, two at World Tour level, the rest not big races at all. And and before, I'll, let you, I'll let you talk about your thoughts on their season quickly, but just looking at the class of the race can be really misleading sometimes. Like Brabantchi Pale and Kerner Benji. Isn't Kerner not a World Tour race? Kerner is not a World Tour race. It's one of the uh, top yeah. one that pro races, I'd say. No. But it, it is a pro race, but it, they're not all created equally. So there are some races like that. I would classify Kerner as a big race, and bigger certainly than winning a stage at Tour de Polonia, I think is not as important as winning Kerner, in my view. And Polonia is a World Tour race. Uh, but their 2020 season, Benji, nine wins, uh, below par, par, or more than you expected? I think it's below par, honestly, because they started off in Saudi Tour, which is the new range that popped up last year. It's not there on the calendar this year. I'm not sure if it was COVID or something else that caused it to go away. But either way, it was a good race to watch, in my opinion. It's somewhat in their region. So I'm guessing that's good for the sponsor that they do well there. Hauser was good there, so that was fun to see. But in the end, Bauhaus took two stages. And the overall, so pretty good ride by the team there. But it's a 2.1 race. It's not, it's, you're right. Should have been DQ'd at some point. Duani should have um, won the overall, just saying. I agree. I agree. Then after that, you had Andalusia, which Dylan Turns won that ITT, which was also kind of surprising in the end, but two point pro race. So pretty good results. Sparinis, a stage win by Garcia Cortina, a bit unexpected that he ended up sprinting on a hill against the likes of... That was a big win. Peter Sagan and so forth. Yeah. And indeed, it was a big win. Now, that's where it kind of turned off and 
kind of felt a bit meh for the rest of the season because they've got a Spanish classic, Memorial Hermanos Ochoa, Ruto Occitani, a stage with Colbrelli, and then a national championship, so it doesn't really matter from Bilbao. But in Grand Tours, I'd say they did a pretty good job. With the Giro, they had that victory at Trotnik. They were in the break basically every day with Ben Steiner, top 10 for him as well. So probably his goal for that Giro actually done. Mark Boudin ma- got unlucky in that break with Narvaez. He yep. had a technical. He might not have won, but he might still have he was up there. Yep, exactly. And then obviously the grand tour of the season for them as well is fourth in the Tour de France with Landa. They really put the tour on its head in that stage 19, I think it was. Or I'm saying on its head, but you know what I mean. They they tried, which other yeah, teams they didn't. Actually did something, and that was really impressive. Even Goldbrelli being part of that that mountain train was really fun to see. So overall, regarding victories, not enough in my honest opinion. They've got riders enough to make more wins happen, but regarding Grand Tours, it's also kind of their ceiling. I think. I think it's going to be hard to get higher than the top four in the Tour de France with the likes of Landa as your leader with such a mediocre time trial behind his abilities. So it's kind of I, my take I, on it. I disagree. I, yeah. I disagree that I think Tour de France fourth is good. Bilbao Giro was good. But one Grand Tour stage win is not enough when you look at the... I mean, we were talking about this before we came on air. Sonny Cobrelli sent him to the Giro and he might be good for a stage or two, but we looked up. He's only, he's never won a Grand Tour stage, Sonny Cobrelli. Uh, but I thought, if, you know, if Cobrelli, Garcia, Cortina and Turns, there should be some stage wins in there, um, more than one. So I, I agree. I think it's a below, below past season because they didn't, the, the races they did win that were at solid level were few and far between. Benji, you've got every Belgian rider on WhatsApp speaking daily. What happened with Dylan Turns? Why did he not go to any of the Grand Tours? Am I forgetting an injury or something? No, I recall him being planning to go to the Tour de France and last minute he was not put into the team because the team didn't like the way he rode at the Dauphiné, wasn't good enough according to the team and he got thrown out of the Tour de France team and that's why he was not in a Grand Tour that season. I think that Dylan Turns is a rider that is valuable to go to the Tour de France. I think we, we even saw, spoke about this in the in the preview podcast of that race, that they chose to go for Raphael Valls because, well, he's going to be more supportive towards Landa while the likes of Turns will be more interested in going into breakaways and getting more for himself as well. And eventually that turned out badly for Bahrain because Valls ended up breaking his collarbone once again. And yeah, that sucks, but you obviously can't plan for uh, for injuries like that. Either way, that is the reason that Turns was not at a Grand Tour last year. So this is what it looks like to me. Before lockdown, Turns was flying, doing really well. Won that ITT at Andalusia, as Benji said. Did pretty solid at Volta a la Comunitat Valenciana. Paranese came second on stage one. That was a really nice second, actually. Then after lockdown, DNF Strade, 70th at uh, San Remo. Nowhere at Dauphiné, DNF the Marco Pantani and Trofeo Matteotti, that's a difficult one for me, and then Terreno was nowhere either. So, And then it looks like he came good with 12th at Burbanchi Pale, 10th at Genvevelchem, and 11th at Ronde van Vlaanderen. So, it, yeah, to me, I don't know what happened with him, but it, it, on paper, just looking at those results, it looks like he uh, didn't come, in, come out of lockdown 
in good form. So would I still send him to the Vuelta? Yes, uh, I would have because this is a guy that won a Tour de France stage in 2019. He's won you know, third in Lombardia, third in Flesh, quality guy, and he would have been deadly. Imagine turns Benji. And remember though, all those, how many times was it like a break or, or a group with uh, Wellens and, and Woods and stuff? Yeah. Are you sort of picked up a stage? Honestly, look at 2018 Vuelta. He yeah. was in the breakaways multiple days. He ended up being third, fourth, fifth, third, second on five stages. Now. So, yeah, and he's better now. So, I think sending him to the Vuelta would not have been too troublesome knowing what team they actually sent to the Vuelta. Yeah. So, he should have had a place in their, in their Vuelta team, to be honest. So, a bit of a bummer there. But I guess that's the choice of Bahrain. He is still at the team. So... He's probably not super angry at them. Otherwise, they would have been at war by now. But I think he's going to be uh, definitely running a Grand Tour this season. And I wouldn't be surprised if it's a Tour de France. I think he's going to learn his lesson and try and prove himself a bit more at the Dauphiné as well. Yeah, I think turns he'll be backing himself for Stage 2 on Britannia, I think. I mean, all those like 10 other quality riders trying to do that too. Yeah. But transfers now, this is uh, yeah, a few... Uh, one retirement, sorry. Oh, Gregor Boll, I think, might have retired or he might not have a contract yet. But I know Luca Pibernik has retired. Uh, Enrico Batagin has gone to Bardiani CSF, I think. Probably a good move for him, actually. Mark Cavendish, obviously, has gone to De Kernig Quickstep. Um, I don't think they'll miss Cavendish too much, to be honest. And then the big one, though, is Ivan Garcia Cortina going to Movistar. So Movistar... Uh, actually in the background building up a half-decent classic squad uh, yep. that we'll talk about in their preview. But, yeah, Garcia Cortina I thought was a – or not thought, I think, is a young rider on the up. Uh, he's 25, got that Paris-Nice stage last year, starting to get more consistent. Although, did he have a crash at Sheldoprash, Benji? I'm just – he didn't really get many results after, after lockdown either. I recall him being in the um, Tour of Flanders and such, but he also always attacked too early. And he attacked early and then ended up not being in the actual eventual important break. So that's kind of how I remember his Jan him. I don't know what happened at Heldeprens. I'm guessing he crashed because he didn't rise any race after that. And likely if he would have been in the form to do so, he would have ridden the likes of uh, the Cobble Classics a bit more. That's probably what I'd think. Do you think it would it makes sense for them to have let him go? I mean, I don't I don't think it's that bad given the way they seem to be structuring this team that it doesn't really seem to be the strongest uh, classic squad anyway, um, and they might be focusing on different things with other riders. Or do you think they you would have fought tooth and nail personally to keep Garcia Cortina around? I think this is more of a question of whether Ivan Garcia Cortina is expecting to have more potential growth at Bahrain than Movistar. And I think that's what led to the transfer more than Bahrain not being willing to pay Garcia Cortina. But I feel like at the likes of Bahrain, he's got a new area surrounding him. At the likes of Movistar, sorry. He's got a, a new area group surrounding him. He's got full leadership for those global races if he rides them. And on paper, he would. I think that it's a good change for him, for Bahrain. Oh, you don't agree? Nah, Jorgensen. Oh, nah. He, nah. That, there's a different degree, mate. 
<laughs> like we'll get to that we're in talking the, about we'll Garcia we'll Martina versus Mateo Jorgensen we'll argue about that in the, in the <laughs> okay anyway, so you, anyway. It's like Rondal Janssen you think it's more an opportunities development thing not just yep. money on the table okay well they're the riders that have left Bahrain and the riders that have come in are Jonathan Milan from cycling team Friuli ASD I think he's a young Italian rider a rider, yes. I, I think this one's a fantastic signing. Gino Mader, the Swiss rider from NTT. He did a good job, I think, in the Giro. Yeah, in the, one of the later stages, he looked really strong. And obviously, Jack Haig, who we have an interview with at the end of this podcast. Uh, we'll be including snippets of that at the end of this pod. So, Jack Haig, I think, is obviously their marquee signing, moving over from Mitchelton Scott to Bahrain. It's for leadership opportunities. I mean, I think he was, there seemed to be a hierarchy at Mitchelton Scott. Now, bike exchange with Chavez, Yates, and Lucas Hamilton. And I think, rightly, Jack Hague's looking, looking at his results at, say, Andalusia and Volta Alla Comunitat Valenciana behind Pagacar and Fulsang, where he did get leadership at those races. Uh, and he was like, well, I was up there with the top guys. So, it makes sense for him to move on, and um, I'm keen to see what he does at Bahrain. How do you think he'll go, Benji? I mean, he spoke on the pod about perhaps going stage hunting in the tour. Would you just – would the ideal program with him be, say, Paranis, Dauphiné, and then send him stage hunting at the tour, like a full sang program? I think that knowing what we know regarding the, um, the races that Bahrain is sending their riders to, uh, you already know that Landa's going to be focusing on the Giro. Yep. And if that is the case, then I think it's a perfect opportunity to send them to the Tour de France because, first of all, he's going to be one of the better breakaway riders if he is at his decent form. And additionally, you could even try to go for GC, but I wouldn't necessarily do it in the Tour uh, de France here. I think, so I, think I wouldn't be focused on... Uh, I think he yeah. told himself that it's... He's, it's not very likely that he's going to be beating Roglic or Pagacar. Yeah. Um, yeah, but... Bahrain. But yeah, is, is fifth worthwhile? Is fourth... I don't know what... Is fourth... Like, were they really happy with that? I mean, a lot, many, many teams would be stoked with that. Yeah, but... Um, I think that Bahrain would be stoked with that, but I'm not sure he's capable of getting a top five. Yeah. Personally. It depends. It's going to be tough. Yeah. It really yeah. depends on who goes. But, you know, every single climber right now with any mediocre TT abilities is saying, I'm going to the Giro, mate. So yeah. we might actually end up having, like, Pogacar, Roglic, Hake, and who knows, Caleb Ewan, the four riders at the start of the Tour de France at this point. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's crazy that what, you know, the way that's happening. Um, people trying to make firm decisions in January when they don't even know the Giro parkour yet. But, yeah, I think I'm keen to see what, what they do with Haig, with how they use him with Landa. Um, but I think Landa going to the Giro, yeah, does polarise that decision pretty easily. And I think the Tour does uh, suit him. But we'll hear from him about that later in the podcast. So moving on now, Benji, to... Wait, 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 wait. wait. Oh, yeah. I want to talk about Jonathan Milan first. Okay. He's, yeah. uh, he's actually a sprinter. He was uh, good at Giro U23 last year, won a stage there. He ended up winning the ITT as well of the country. You see that often in the start of sprinting careers that they're semi-decent at time trials as well. I think that's the case in this situation. Kittle is a perfect example of that. 
He was a better time trialist and a sprinter at the start of his career, and he grew into a all-out best sprinter in the world at a certain point in his career. And I think Jonathan Milan is kind of on the level of Jordi Meus, who is the sprinter slash slide cobble rider who signed for Bora as well this year. So kind of the same kind of rider, Jake Stewart, also similar. He's the one that wrote, that rides for Group Amav de Gé this year. So kind of all these level riders are finding a World Tour team to start riding for. And I think we're going to see them grow slowly but surely over the course of the next few years. And then I don't think Haig is their marquee signing in the eyes of those of the team of Bahrain. I think the marquee signing in the eyes of the team of Bahrain is Ahmed Madan. And this is going to sound a bit stupid, but I think they value having a Bahraini rider so much that it's going to offer them so much opportunities in their own country to try and establish cycling a bit more because that's also one of the goals of the Bahrain team. And I think that's what is very valuable for this team. Madan is likely not going to move the needle at any point in his career. I hope for him he does. I sincerely hope he does just win win it to the front stage the same way Chima did in the Giro that day. That would be just hilarious, to be honest. But it's unlikely because the man has DNF'd 75% of his races last year. And the fourth one, so he rode four, was the 99th place in the Tour of Antalya which he ended up not finishing in total. And the year before, all Turkish races and a DNS. Oh, yeah, DNS, can't really judge on that, can I? So he's mainly known for his Turkish races because it's the only ones he's finished in his career. So, yeah, I don't believe we can expect anything, but on a promotional level in the country of Bahrain, that is very valuable for the team, I think. So they're their signings. Uh, Jonathan Milan sounds like a man to watch. Maida, I think could, if he progresses, actually be up there and win a, a big race uh, next year. It would, be, it would kind of be like the progression of Mark Hirschi, right? Um, he made it, did pretty well, I think, at under-23 level. I mean, he or she's a different class, I think, but 2018 to Lavenir. In 2018, Gino Maida was class on that U23 circuit, stages at Alsace, Ronda Lizard, two stages at Lavenir. And he's obviously got the, the talent. He's 24. They signed him to a, a two-year deal. Yeah, I think it's a good signing. Um, it's all it's all upside. If, they, if they've signed him to a pretty low... I mean, he was struggling to get a World Tour contract, I think. So if he's on, you know, not that much, it's all upside from their perspective. So the way I look at the team now, team leaders uh, pretty clearly... In like one day races and semi cobbles is Sonny Colbrelli in like Rabanchi Pale style races. I mean, he's a hard one, Colbrelli, right? Because would you would you really go into a race, Benji, like a world tour, a top level race, and say Colbrelli is our man, except for maybe a Giro stage that really suited him? I would. I think he's got potential. I was a pretty big fan of uh, Colbrelli the years he won uh, the likes of uh, Brabant Pale because. He's this type of rider that doesn't necessarily give up easily. He can be in a in a group without being the best climber and just hold on as much as possible and then still out-sprint everybody in the end. So I think he's got very much, well, not potential because he's at this peak already. I don't believe he's going to grow too much more in his career. But I also don't think that his last years have been that great. I think he's stagnated a few years ago and he's starting to go down a bit when it comes to his capabilities in the World Tour Peloton. Younger, better riders are popping off on the scene. 
And I think that Garcia Cortina was on paper a better rider for the uh, cobble season, and they let him go. So, I mean, I think he's the Italian Brian Cockard. <laughs> like, okay, <laughs> uh, yeah. I mean, Brian Cockard's a not like nice rider, solid rider, like third at Shelter Price, but. At the top world tour races, if you don't have one of the top guys, it's it's risky just going in with out and out leadership. Wild poles, I think I'm keen to see what his season looks like at yeah. Bahrain next oh this year rather. I mean he he's won Liege Baston Liege. He's a good Arden rider, like really he's a top level guy there, or should be. Um, so I'm keen to see how he goes as well. I mean he's got now Haig supporting him there and maybe Gino Maida etc. So Landa Benji, we're getting into their Giro team now. Oh, let's not pick their Giro team. Sorry, I've already prefaced what races they should do. Starting with their Cobble Classics, we have Benji says we have to start with the Cobble Classics first. It's just the rules, apparently. Most important ones, you know? Yeah. So starting with the Cobble Classics, Omloop, Paris Bay, Tour of Flanders, etc. We might throw in Brabantje Pale uh, in this category as well, even though it sits between Ardennes and Cobble Classics. Um, but yeah, who, who's their leader there, Benji? Uh, it's it's probably again like other teams, their weaker, their weaker sort of uh, part of their squad. The riders I would be sending to the Cobble team on Bahrain Merida, well, Bahrain Victorious. Okay, I'm ruining it already. Merida's like two years old, <laughs> not even McLaren anymore. <laughs> anyway, um, Colbrelli's in that team. Hauser's in that team for certain. Then we have the likes of. Perhaps a Mohoric, he's kind of on the meh side of the things. I think he really fits there, but he's likely preferring the Hill Classics more like an LBL, because if I recall correctly, he was pretty good at LBL last year. Dylan Turns could ride the cobble season, and that's yeah. a bit of a difficult side for Dylan Turns as well, because you'd say he has to, but he also needs to ride the Hill Classics. So it's going to be a long season if he needs to ride everything. Can't he do, can't he do cobbles? Like, he doesn't have to do every one, right? Like, maybe you mm-hmm. skip and Vable him with him, but you send him to Tour of Flanders, right? And and mm-hmm. then you get him to do um, the Ryder Den races that suit him and then Tour de France. I think you don't need to send him to maybe Omloop or something. But, yeah, I think you should still. Or Three Ducks of Baruga de Pan. Like, he's probably not going to win that. But I think you have to send him, given his results in a few of them last year, top 15s in three. Uh, yeah, Colbrelli, would you be sending him to Tour of Flanders, Benji? Or who would you have as their leader yeah. there? I put Colbrelli in there and uh, in the yeah. Tour of Flanders. I think that this team has an issue of not having an all-out leader out there. But if Turns at the start, I'd be putting my money on Turns more than on Colbrelli or Hauser or Holler or those types of riders. Holler is most likely support though, so let's not put too much mind to him as leader. Seabrook most likely support as well in these kind of races, but yeah, all in all, it's not the most out there team for the cobble races. So it John would surprise Platter. me. They top five, one of the big ones. Who flatter ones? Sorry, what? Jonathan Milan to the flatter ones, give him some experience and enable him. I don't know what his cobble um, life is like. I don't think he's ridden a cobble race in his life. So. <laughs> He's, what, got sorry? Some, he's got to learn sometime. He's 20 years old. <laughs> that's yeah, that's true. Their team's not that strong in that respect, so I think you need to give some opportunities to the younger riders who just mm-hmm. to see how they go, get some experience uh, in that sense. But the Ardennes, I think they're actually a little bit stronger. I would pick Mohoric, Poles, Haig, 
Caruso. Uh, who else? Landa in some of them. Gino Ameda. Vols. Anyone else, Benji? Novak? Uh, yeah, those are the names, really. I think that you've named the most important ones. I think Landa would ride LBL as well. Yeah. He, um, he should on paper. I'm not sure, but somewhere far in my mind, I remember him riding a Fledge Wallon, but I don't remember a, a great result in that regard either. I think he got seven in LBL in 2019. So, yeah, it's worth sending him to uh, for Liege, Boston Liege. But the question there is if he ends up in a group, he can't that sprint them. So, he's likely not going to be fighting for the victory because I also don't see him dropping the likes of Nala Philippe on a hill because his acceleration is too low for that. So, all in all, he's not really the rider that I see winning any of the uh, Hill Classics. Dylan Turns has more of an opportunity on that if he's in good form, unlike when he came back from COVID. And Whitepool, like you said, he's definitely up there for LBL. And I think he fitted more on the uh, on the old finish, though. Now that they finish in Liège, they don't have that code de on at the end. So it's more difficult for riders with not necessarily the best punch or sprint to end up winning this race. They'd have to get away earlier. The positive on that with Pools is that he's got a bit of a time trial. So if he can get away somehow, he can keep it going. And that's kind of important for this one. If Landa does that, it's less likely to work. So um, definitely those names. You said it, Mohoric as well. Mohoric was insane last year in LBL because he yeah. was a group behind. And then the downhill started of the last hill. And by the end of the downhill, it was almost at the first group. <laughs> so that dude is by far the best sender in the world when it comes to aerodynamics and so forth cornering i'm not 100 percent sure that he's the best out there but when it comes to aero and so forth he's he's like top notch and i'm i'm so so impressed by that because descending is one of the abilities i value the most in cycling because it's so technique wise and stuff like that so yeah i think that offers him a lot in the likes of uh, lbl because he can't get dropped on every hill and then come back into the descent. So it's kind of a benefit, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> so that's the team for the Ardennes. The sort of names we'll be seeing up there. We'll probably see Walt Poles, if I had to guess. Walt Poles coming like eighth and seventh in a couple of the Ardennes races. I, I don't expect them to win any of the big ones, if I'm honest. And also, Brabanchi Pale, it's going to be hard for Cobrelli too to beat the, the top guys if they go as well, meaning Alaphilippe, Van der Poel, etc. Uh, but that's the same for anybody. That's just the, the reality of it. But upsets do happen. On to their Giro d'Italia team. Already said, they've done... If anyone ever plays poker, um, it's like when you do a a blind um, blind raise or whatever before you even see the cards put down. It's the same with <laughs> the all these pure climbers that aren't good at TT saying, we're going to Giro, don't even need to show me the parkour, don't care. I think this France <laughs> got about 80Ks of ITT and not too many mountain, like not too many mountaintop finishes. And uh, that second stage on Britannia looks like one for Alaphilippe and Cosnefar and the, uh, the Slovenians. No, thank you. We're going to Giro d'Italia. Probably the right decision, but Landa's going there. Uh, I'm not sure who they'll take with him. Probably I would say, if I had to guess, they're going to take... Pernsteiner and oh, Turns and Bill Bow and I would also and Caruso. I would also take Cold Brelli 
to look after himself, maybe with one helper. And I'd also take maybe uh, Gino Meda. Um, but yeah, who would you put around Lander, Benji, assuming they take Haig to the tour? It's a bit of a combination of my Giro and Tour team this way, because I can't explain my Giro team without saying who would go to the Tour de France. So first of all, for the Giro, I obviously have Lander as leader. It's a more mountainous parkour, most likely, because the Tour de France is actually not that mountainous looking at the parkour. And Bilbao would be his lieutenant in most of the Grand Tours he does. Now, the problem with that is that I think Bilbao could do really well at the Tour de France, knowing the parkour of the Tour de France and knowing his time trial capabilities. The man could get a top 10 at the Tour de France. and I don't think he's done that in the Tour de France yet. So it's pretty cool stuff, perhaps a top 7 even. I value Bilbao pretty high in that Tour de France. Problem is, they're going to send them to the Giro because they're going to put their eggs in the Landa basket for sure. So we know that he's going to have to ride the Giro first and then have to go to the Tour de France. So that limits the qualities that he can deliver in the Tour de France, Bilbao. So yeah, Landa Bilbao is already part of the team in the Giro, in my opinion. Then Rafael Valls, third man in the lead-out train of uh, Landa on the mountains. Perhaps not third man, but one of the men in that train. Whitepools, I think, is going to be riding his own Grand Tour. I don't know why, but I don't feel him in the terrain of, of Landa. And I think it's mainly because last year it kind of got decapitated a tiny bit. He was uh, injured for quite a while, right, in the Tour de France, if I recall correctly? Yeah, I can't remember exactly. Um, I do remember it was Caruso who was the big guy for Landa at the Tour. Caruso was yep. his last correct. Match. And Bill Bauer was second last. Yeah, and if you send the likes of uh, a Caruso as well with the team, then you're going to have trouble setting up something for Colbrelli. The question is, will Colbrelli go to the Giro in the same way that he did the Tour de France? I think he would perhaps value that, but I think he's going to have to cipher himself away for Landa as well. So I would enjoy seeing Colbrelli have his own chances again in a Grand Tour because he didn't really have that in in 2020 so i would perhaps send colbrelli to another grand tour because he can you can definitely find someone to replace that spot in the helper train of landa for the giro obviously colbrelli has ridden most of the grand tours in his career in the giro i think he's ridden like two tour de france and like seven giro so far so there's a big difference there so i think he values the giro more perhaps that's something that's in his contract i want to ride the giro damn it but um yeah all in all that's true, but he, he's gotten close quite a lot. Yeah, I, I, I think he could I've changed my mind. I've changed yeah. my mind. So now they're Tour de France squad. I agree with what Benji said. Colbrelli should get his own Grand Tour. I think the stages in the Tour are going to suit Colbrelli yeah. a little bit more. Uh, I don't know if he's going to be competitive on Britannia, but that first stage is not a pure flat sprint. While Van Aert already said he had his eyes on that. I mean, yes... Yes, I know that we're going to the tour. You're, you're going to be against Van Aert and but and who else? You know, Ewan's going to the Giro. Is Ewan going to be tired? Uh, Grunewagen is not going to the Tour de France apparently. Sam Bennett will be going to the Tour de France as well as probably Sagan. Ackerman. Ackerman is going to the Tour de France. So yeah, I'm not saying it's going to be easy, but neither is winning a Giro stage either. And if it's pancake flat stage, then Ewan's probably dusting. Colbrelli off in the, the Giro as well. Oh, and Damar on the tour. But I would send him to the to the tour. And 
go and maybe not target those pure sprints target other races or stages that suit him more as like an italian one day guy in where there's actually some hills in it uh in breco so i'd go with cole Brelly stage hunting in that sense Hague stage hunting on medium mountain high mountain stages in, with dylan turns who can be competitive on stage two and other stages alongside jack Hague. i would also send gino maida and Matej Mohoric, as well as Mark Padun. And yeah, I just commit fully to stage hunting. I don't know whether I'd send Wild Poles to look after himself on GC and just do a high miles of Beldia and say, hey, you're going to get no support, but just you don't need it. Follow, <laughs> just follow Koos. If you can follow Koos, what use is it having four guys with you? Um, and just do your best on the TT. Maybe do that with Poles and free the rest of the team. I'd, I'd hope to see that. Or maybe they send him and say, well, to you'll be, you, you can be leader and just use the tour to go for stages, exactly the way Carapaz went for stages in the tour and then was flying at the Vuelta uh, just afterwards. So what do, you, what do you think about my team I've just put together, Benji? And you could send Hausler to help Colbrelli and Co. I don't think Hausler is going to get a, a Grand Tour too easily, to be honest. Uh, I love Hausler. He's like... On par with Nibali on my on my favorite rider list, genuinely. And that's pretty high to be at. But I don't believe he at his age will be sustainable in a Grand Tour to help out the likes of Eko Brelli and so forth. What I wonder is, we're talking about Giro and Tour. I'm going to kill the topic entirely by going to the Vuelta already. <laughs> Why has Colbrelli never ridden the Vuelta? Like, he is a hilly sprinter. He's got that hilly quality. He can sprint in smaller groups. He, on paper, can get over hills and get a rough stage and then finish it off. He fits so well with usual Giro parkours. The year that Meersman won everything. Italian Cup. Oh, yeah, that's true. That's likely the reason that he never went there. Yeah, I find that a bit of a bummer that that falls on the same days then because I really think that would be the ground that fits him the most in the end. But explains totally that he'd be valuing the Italian Cup more as an Italian. So I get that. But like you said, Jack Haig definitely going for stage wins at the Tour de France would be my guess. And I'm, I don't know, but I forgot to mention him for LBL as well. I think he got a top 15 there a few years ago. Either way, uh, Ben Steiner, you said him for the Giro. Yeah, I think, I think Giro I would put, better. I think so as well. But I haven't seen him work in a train for somebody that much yet. I've he's seen small. him mainly in breakaways. <laughs> yes, he's so that's small. true. But he's the kind of rider that stays in the peloton, Zubelius his way into the top 10 by getting into breakaways every so often, and then ends up losing in the breakaways because he's not good enough to win the stage. So, yeah, I'm still salty because I had a bet on him that day that O'Connor won in the Giro. Either way, um, I think Bernsteiner would indeed fit best in the Giro, like you said. Would you send the likes of Milan or even an Ahmed Badan to his first Grand Tour in the Vuelta? Or do you think that's like way over the top for a first year Bahraini rider? I wouldn't send Madan to a Grand Tour unless he really showed something in, in the earlier races or a one-week stage race. Mm-hmm. I, don't think it's, I don't think it's productive to have a guy just fully struggle and <laughs> be out. No, like, on, like if you're being realistic, like really struggle. Yeah, you're right. He's you're DNFing right. the Turkish races like, there's no point putting him in a position to fail like and feeling bad about it. Uh, that's not really achieving anything. Now, maybe 
they think there's a benefit having him in the Tour de France squad for the marketing and the photos they can take beforehand. But I, for him personally, I wouldn't take him because he's going to DNF. Yep. So it's just like if you want to take him seriously as a rider, do his develop. You know, I would do his development properly and try and actually get him to progress normally. But yeah, I think my Tour de France squad that I put together for Bahrain victorious is uh, pretty cracked and could yep. take home at least two to two stage wins and. Could turn, why couldn't Turns or Haig target the KOM jersey too? Because you've got to remember, no one, not many riders actually, not many quality riders start the Tour de France and say, KOM jersey, that's mine. I'm going for that and that alone. And if you're in that KOM jersey for an extended period, you get to go on the podium every day uh, and get those Cosmo photos Fra. every day. You get, yeah, Cosnefroy, best climber in the world. Get get on the podium like 15 days in a row. You get the team taking photos of it. You're in a different jersey. Like it is, it's not like wearing the yellow jersey, but you still get a fair bit of exposure. And I feel like that's some low-hanging fruit for the quality of climbers they've got on this squad who realistically aren't going to be competitive, like really competitive for winning GC. Welder squad, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. RH. Depends on the drill, I think. Lair, depends on if the Lander geo. fails. It's Lander. We'll see how people go with Worlds. I agree with you. Cole Brelli at the Vuelta makes a lot of sense. Uh, maybe they send a sprint squad. I mean, who who is a sprinter on this team apart from Cole Brelli? Is it it's Bauhaus, it's Bauhaus, mate? Come on. Bauhaus. It's Bauhaus, right? So they send Bauhaus. Yep. Uh, maybe with Halle and uh, Marcel Seberg. So they got some veteran lead-out men on this team. But I, think the yep. I think they've got a problem. At Bahrain regarding sprinting because we're talking about Bauhaus like he's a godly sprinter, but I feel no, like he stagnated over the years. That's you. yeah, okay, that's right. Like that. That's true. <laughs> <laughs> um, I think that he stagnated. They don't have that potentially all-out future sprinter. Milan's the only one that has sprinting abilities and is young that could grow out to become a good sprinter. So I think they've got no depth really regarding sprinting in this team and. That's why they don't have as many victories throughout the year as well, because a lot of stage or sprint stage, and Hold if on. you just skip out on them, okay? Um, Fred Wright, 21 years old, fourth in that welter stage behind Phillips and Ackerman and Steimler. Yep, that's true. He's he mm. got to a Grand Tour again. He's 21 years old. He's British. Like uh, it's good, good marketing, I guess. I would. I think they have to send him to one of them. He's going. Apparently, his up, upcoming participations, according to PCS, are Flanders, Roubaix, Provence, Saxe-Bank Classic, and Hendewevelhem. But yeah, I think. But I, no, I agree with you in principle, Benji. Sorry to interrupt, but like, yeah, Fred Wright and um, Milan are not really moving the needle as top sprinters. When you see someone like, somewhere like Alberson Phoenix, who already have Molière, are like, yeah, we'll get Philipson too. <laughs> a great, like winner of a Grand Tour sprint stage um, and multiple like top threes in Grand Tour sprint stages. So, yeah, I think that train are going to be kept pretty quiet this season. But nine wins last year, Benji. Now our predictions for next year or this year rather, are they going to get more than nine wins? What's their over? I'm going to give you an over under of 18 professional victories. Okay, I'm going to give them an over and under of... 14 because no, you, you picked the under you clearly never bet on american sports <laughs> the over under is eight how this works the under at 14 
<laughs> I don't care. I just said over under 14, okay? You know what I mean? <laughs> I, I would put um, under then, I guess, because I, I get it now. 19 is the, the middle value you're trying to ascend to here. I think he's, they're going to get under that. And they've got the quality to win races, but I don't think they've got the team support surrounding those riders. Lando's not really the winner out there that wins stages too often. And as a rider, they most likely pay the most on their team. Colbrelli would need to step up. Bauhaus would need to step up. Turns would need to step up. Every single rider on that team would need to step up a bit if they want to actually achieve victories instead of podium places. And I don't see it happening too often. So I think they're going to likely end up with a lot of podium places again, a limited amount of victories, and end up with 14 victories. I'm... Oh, I don't, I don't know. It's hard to. I'm struggling here. Let's see. Let's. I'm trying to compare against their baseline. So they won 16 in 2019 when they had Nibali, Andro, and Dennis for half the year. I'm going under as well, Benji. I think your 14 is about right. But my hot take is that Matej Mohoric wins a big, big race. I'm betting. I'm. My hot take is Morich wins a, a monument. Either yeah. it could be, it could be one of three, I think, um, San Remo, Liège, or maybe Lombardi is a bit hard for him. But yeah, I think Milano San Remo, if it's a slow Poggio, he's a guy that could gap everyone on that descent and get away. So um, My, I, I think mm-hmm. he could win a monument. Yeah. It's possible. I don't. I wouldn't say no to it, but I think there's a lot of people that would be able to win monuments, so it's tough to do so. I think my um, completely biased hot take is that Heinrich Hauser is going to podium a top-level cobble race. I don't know which one. Likely Roubaix out of the ones, because that fits. <laughs> but he's got a lot of competition for it, so it will be troublesome. But... He's such a kind guy, and I love his posts on Instagram. So that's the reason why I set him up for a top three podium at Roubaix this year. I think, I think like top top ten at just like does Dwarsdor of London count? I mean, he came fourteenth. <laughs> he came fourteenth in Roubaix in twenty nineteen. Like that's not an outrageous. Yeah, podium. Did you say ready or top ten? That's podium. Podium, nah. Podium. <laughs> I yeah, mean, top 10 is more likely, but I'm completely biased here. I love the guy. Right? The point of it is supposed to be a hot take. I just yeah. think yours is flaming hot and mine is actually within the realms of possibility. Um, but I guess we'll see. We'll see this oh. season. Um, I still think I still think when I look at the way Bahrain, this is sort of my final note on Bahrain before we get into the Jack Haig interview in a second, but I can't really see a plan. Benji, like I don't really understand the plan. Like maybe I'm too simple. Maybe I'm a simple person. That's certainly possible. But when I look at Alperson Phoenix, I think clear plan. When I look at even with Mobster, even with yeah, Jumbo Viz, well, no, I don't know. I don't, I don't, <laughs> I don't really understand making Wapan up the most, uh, the highest paid rider in the world, and then making him uh, ride tempo on uh, mini mountain stages. But anyway, that aside. Movistar, I see sort of a plan with their the little classic squad they're trying to build there. I don't really see a plan with Bahrain victorious. I feel like they're getting 
sort of random things everywhere. They're like, oh, Lander, yeah, we're all Lander. And then Gino Maida, that's great. But yeah, am I missing something, Benji? What do you think is the future of this team? What, what's like the strength of the team they're trying to go for and improve in years to come? I think that right now they've got just a bunch of horses running around. And I think that Landa is their main guy still for the future in the coming years. He's only 31. So their focus would still be on bringing Landa to a proper position and hopefully, yeah, hopefully getting a victory that way. But they don't have anything next to that. So like you say, there's an issue there. They don't have real talent in the sprinting that could move the needle for the upcoming years they don't have a cobble team that could change the impact of the races at any point really and regarding the hill stages they can do quite a bit and they can get victories there but it's not like they are favorites in any of those races so the race would have to kind of fold in the perfect way and you can call your horse victorious all you want but if you don't have a clear plan of what the team will end up going towards it's not going to end up being a victory for the team i think so i think they indeed lack a long-term plan with the team. And the moment that Landa gets over his peak and starts dropping, they're going to have to have a secondary department that is coming up with a lot of talent that could bring the team forward from that point onwards. But before that happens, I I don't see them winning a ground tour with Landa, you know? The podium is already difficult these days. So I think Landa is unlucky that so many other riders are going to the Giro. I think, I think Landa yeah. still... Still really, really good, uh, yep. but it's, it's going to be tough to win this Giro this year, uh, particularly if the Olympics are still on uh, and riders are targeting those Olympics and you've got Bernal, etc., and a whole host of other names going. But, yeah, I think well, there's a lot of pieces I like in isolation, like Turns, like Mohrich, like Haig, like Colbrelli in certain races, even like Walt Poles, but... I sometimes feel like they're not putting them in the uh, in the best place to to succeed, and they're just sort of saying, yeah. "Oh, go get a top ten in, in a grand tour." But maybe this is the, the development of the team, and we're seeing, you know, this is a project, and we're going to see incremental development and improvement throughout the years and this year. And I also don't know their budget, so maybe they got a lot of these guys on low low salaries. I'd actually I doubt that, but I'm just it's a low country, so. I yeah, doubt it. I, I, I doubt that, but um, maybe they do. But that's our, our preview of the Bahrain Victorious 2021 season. Here's our speaking directly to one of their mar- or their marquee signing, in my view, Jack Haig, 2021. Hope you enjoy this interview now. Welcome back to the Lantern Rouge Cycling Podcast, Jack Haig. I think your third visit, or maybe second visit to the podcast, but you've been on the, the YouTube channel as well. Bahrain victorious, most high-profile signing for 2021. But I want to ask you straight away, what was the rationale for the move? Been a Michigan Scott or Eric Green Edge for a long time, Australian guy. What was the attraction with going to Bahrain? Was it leadership opportunities, different race program? What was it? To be honest, it had been five years at Michelin. And we went through a bit of a difficult year last year with the change of management and um, the whole COVID situation. But I'd kind of had my mind made up that I wanted just a change, just a different environment, meet new people, 
I feel like I'd kind of used a lot of the resources to their capacity in Mitchelton. And sometimes you just need a bit of a change to make that next step. And I sort of felt like I'd become quite comfortable in the role that I was playing in Mitchelton being sort of a key helper for the Yates brothers in the bigger races or then getting small opportunities uh, in some small races. And I wanted to sort of test the waters. I'm 27 now. I have a three-year deal with Bahrain and it's sort of one of the three more important years of a professional career, normally sort of that between that 27 to 30-ish, 31 around that is sort of where you can really make yourself as a cyclist. So that was sort of one of the reasons why I decided to to change. And then the reason for coming to Bahrain was actually mainly uh, Rod Ellingworth. I sat down with him and had a had a chat and he sort of discussed the whole vision for the team. And it was something that I was super excited about. And it was quite disappointing to hear that he moved on from the team because he was sort of the main reason I joined, but so was life and these things happen. And I think uh, like a lot of people know, not much is stable within the professional cycling world. And it's just how it kind of rolls, but I'm quite confident now I've had a lot of chats with the management of the team and they're really focused in trying to take the team in the same direction as what Rod had been taking the team last year. And they really sort of had a bit of an eye-opening experience, I think, with the different management strategies that Rod put in place. And now they want to sort of keep carrying that forward into the future. So for people, I mean, I think it's a good move for you personally because if you just think about your results pre-lockdown, when you had leadership, two important races, both with quality competition high level of riders in it first is a race that's coming up in like three weeks and it's probably the highest level two pro race (laughs) ever i remember we spoke about it i even did a video about this i think with sensei shane miller gp llama about pagatis power day so this was volterella Comunita valenciana in spain four top four riders in this pagacha page second six seconds behind gagan hart third dan martin fourth so you're the odd one out there, I guess, in not being getting a GC opportunity later that year. And then there was Andalusia after that, if I recall, and you came yeah. second one a stage, and that was with Fulsang and Landa. And McNulty was in a few in the break with you guys and maybe a couple of stages too. Yeah. Fulsang and one Lombardia. Landa had a really, really good Tour de France, actually. That's kind of gone under the radar. That fourth is pretty yeah. high level. Um, <laughs> So I think it's good because, yeah, as you said, three-year window. Speaking of Mikel Lander, your, new t- your teammate, what if his peak was in 2015 at Astana and they didn't give him leadership at the Giro and he never really he never wins a Grand Tour like that's possible. Um, but that being said, it was that part of the agreement and the vision for you coming over to Bahrain that you would be getting a GC leadership opportunity or at least like Dauphiné or Paris-Nice leadership or was it also to help London in a Grand Tour? So uh, I think it's changed a little bit now that Rod's not there because I think uh, Rod's vision was very solely focused on winning the Tour de France. So it was kind of going to be a bit of an Ineos Sky model he was going to try and bring across to the team and it was sort of going to be that the whole year sort of revolved around the Tour. Whereas now yeah. the management's changed a little bit um, and I think the will be more revolved around just getting results now. Yep. 
and I won't be purely focused on Tour de France. So it's maybe even better for myself now without that sole focus on Tour because I think if they went to the Tour this year, it would have been probably around maybe Lander or Bilbao. It's a little bit tricky because of the parkours this year with so much time trialing. But uh, I think now I should have more opportunities, uh, especially in some of the week-long races. Um, I should do Walt Catalunya uh, okay. with some leadership there. Uh, UAE tour is still quite an early tour, and me and Walt Poles will go there. It's not my favorite race, but <laughs> it's still a race that I can have some opportunities in. And then uh, there's a pretty heavy block there in the Ardennes, which I'll also get some leadership with. Uh, it was quite important for the Olympic selection because that's kind of like the last races that have, have big weighting towards the selection for Olympics. And then uh, hopefully onto the Tour de France where it'll probably be more a stage hunting uh, team than a pure GC team because of the, the parkours. But um, yeah, I should also get some opportunity there to just test the waters. Um, it'll only be the second time I do the Tour de France if I go. Uh, which is also another reason why I want to to change teams was I feel as though the tour maybe suits my sort of style of rider better than say a welter or the Giro. I just haven't really had <laughs> good experiences there, so it's not my favorite race either. Um, and why I'd do want you say the tour over the welter? Because I th- I thought you'd be good at at the welter um, compared to but the tour. Just because I'm. Uh, a slightly bigger rider, like I'm 191 centimeters. I normally race at like between 69 if I'm super light, but normally like 70, 71. And then in the welter, the shorter, steeper climbs just physiologically gets a bit difficult for someone my size. Um, Yeah, it's definitely probably a race that I can do well in, but also the Tour de France is just the Tour de France. Like it's the biggest race and like, I sort of want to test the waters there while I'm still a little bit younger than like go down the welter path now. Like I want to go down the welter path maybe after I've tried the tour one and been like, ah, it's not really for me. So, yeah, I think, I mean, if that's where the direction the team's going to go in the tour, I think that's smart. I think the Ineos UAE Jumbo Visma block is just ridiculous. And well, I think we saw that with Bahrain last year. They yeah, Bahrain actually say. tried. Like the yeah. credit to Bahrain, they actually yeah. tried with Caruso, Bilbao, who was subsequently wow. on really good form at the Giro. Yeah. In the later stages of the tour trying to set up Lander and like it was impossible. <laughs> yeah. Do. I think like you said, those three teams, well, two teams last year and probably three teams now going into this year with UAE, they have quite a stranglehold over the tour in terms of the riders they have that not many other teams can send a squad as capable as them to the races and take control of the races the way they do. And I think if you do, you're almost wasting opportunities there because you know that those three teams will set the race up for their GC leader. And then as long as your GC leader has the legs and can hang on and has enough support to get to the base of the final climb or the final two climbs, he can just hang on and he's fine. And then you need to send the rest of the team to look for stages to get the most out of the tour, I think. Yeah, and I think a rider who's now underrated and it, I think Alaphilippe's deviation in Liège kind of was the big story, but Mohoric, I think you and him in a break stage hunting in a tour is pretty 
like pretty dangerous combination in the Ardennes as well. You and him as well, he can attack on the sense, etc. Yeah. So, yeah, I think that's smart from Bahrain. Like, Lander is a great climber. It doesn't matter real too much whether it's the Yumbo Yumbo train setting pace or you, I guess, for him, as yeah. you said. Yeah. And I, it's kind of a team that I never really looked at too much before Rod approached me. But the more that I've sort of looked into the Bahrain team, I feel like there's quite a few underrated riders inside the team and with this new direction that the team's taking i think there's a lot of potential for development there of some of those riders like you say mohorich i think he's two or three time world champion as a junior under 23 and he's maybe not quite shown his full potential in the world tour yet and i think there's a few riders like that in the team and if we can sort of nurture that and help it grow and put some really good infrastructure in place that it can actually turn out to be quite a, quite a good team. You look at what Sunweb now DSM did last year in the tour. I see no reason why you guys can't try and replicate something similar with yourself. Uh, Gino Maida, who came up from yeah. NTT, I can't believe he was struggling for a deal. I think that's one of the best pickups. He's... Did so well at U23, I think, twenty in 2018, the world champs. Clearly talented. Showed at the end of the Giro that he's going really well. Pernsteiner in the Giro as well, I think, did really well. And Dylan Turns. So, and Trapnik, who won, almost won yeah. a stage at the... And he's always strong. Like I think he's quite an underrated rider that I didn't really know too much about until I started following the team a bit more. And he's always getting top 10s and time trials. And I think he's... Quite an underrated rider as well. Yeah, well, he did win a stage at the. Uh, ah, sorry, yeah, he beat Ben O'Connor. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, that's true. I think that's good. What happened in the Giro maybe was like, okay, well, we have all these guys whose skills are getting in breakaways. I mean, Mark Padun again, the young Ukrainian, so yeah. from that same crop in 2018, he got like unlucky with the mechanicals. So that's yeah. what it's. I mean, that's great to hear that the team has been like, okay, well, this is what our actual attributes of our riders are and i hope they yeah i hope they follow through with it so you're in andorra now is that by choice or imprisonment (laughs) is that by environmental or covid imprisonment like because that can't be the ideal place for a january training camp no so i've been a resident of andorra now just over five years i came here in my first year professional and then during the first couple of years I split some time between Andorra and Girona and I would normally go to Girona during the winter period for a couple of months. I didn't really, I'm not a massive fan of Girona. I think it's a great place for new riders and everything's set up and it's super easy, but uh, I just, it wasn't really for me, but I enjoyed it during the winter months because the city was much quieter. There's not so many people and it kind of turns into the beautiful city that it is. Um, But then recently Every single year, I've been spending less and less time there. And I think maybe the last two or three winters, I basically haven't been in Jonah at all. And I spend majority of my time in Andorra. Um, last winter, I spent basically the entire winter here. This winter, I spent uh, a couple of weeks, two weeks in Alicante before Christmas. And then I came back. And yeah, it's cold and it snows a lot and it gets quite annoying to go out training sometimes and you spend quite a bit of time on Zwift. But I think 
through those years of slowly being able to adapt my training and be a bit more flexible. And I was lucky enough when I was younger, I learned to ski. So I incorporate uh, skiing quite a bit into my training, uh, which is just fun and refreshing and uh, keeps the mind busy and the body sharp, I think, doing different sports like that. So, yeah, it's complicated, but it works. I'm definitely looking forward to going to team camp in two days' time and sort of getting some warmer weather where I don't need to wear every piece of clothing that I own to go out training. Yeah, so I think you put on your Insta story when you were skiing, it was like minus 10 or minus 16 or something. Yeah. And at the same time, I'm looking to relocate to Europe this year and Jack's like, I'm going to Andorra and I'm at the Gold Coast right now. <laughs> I was like, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> but no, I won't like, be there in December. This winter's been particularly hard. Uh, previous winters haven't been this hard. Like we had a really, really cold spell of maybe two or three weeks where basically every single ride I did, I would ride down into Spain because it becomes basically impossible to ride in Andorra because it's too cold and the mountain passes are covered in snow. And that's at about 800, seven, 800 meters elevation. And every single ride I did was sort of one, two degrees average for five hours. I think the, I broke a record of, I did five hours and the average temperature was like minus two or minus one for five hours in my bid and froze. And that was the first time it ever happened. I was like, what Jeez. am I doing? <laughs> <laughs> so, could you actually, do you think it's possible to construct like a semi-training program with cross-country skiing or is it, there's no real fine art to it. You just go out for like two hours and cruise around, keep, keep your heart rate just up a little bit. So, Andorra, it's not so much cross-country skiing because it's so mountainous. There's not really flat ground for them to groom like a classic or skate skiing track. Right. So a lot of what the people do in Andorra is sort of, they nickname it schemo or i guess it's like ski mountaineering and it's basically you have an alpine ski that has a binding that can pivot at the heel so the heel can come up and you put this material on the bottom of your skis called skins and you can basically walk up the mountain take the skins off at the top clip into your skis and then alpine ski down and it's super popular in andorra and in europe so I do majority of that. And basically it's like being on a Stairmaster. You're just walking up the hill with your skis on. And I find it's actually really good because you activate a lot of the similar muscles that you use when you're cycling, uh, using your glutes and your quads and your hamstrings quite a bit. And um, I don't really do any intervals on the skis, but most of the skiing might be, say you start at 1500 meters and then you can skin up, up the hill to two and a half thousand meters and it might take an hour and I just do that at sort of zone two heart rate going up but I'll normally do like a Zwift session in the morning like two hours on the turbo in the morning if it's snowing outside do a couple of intervals on there have lunch and then in the afternoon go, go do two hours on the skis and then you end up with a four hour day end up with a lot of zone two work on the skis and then you can do a bit more high intensity work on Zwift in the morning. Yeah, that sounds better than four hours straight of Zwift every day. Do you know if yeah. Sivakov's still uh, doing like, that or is he outside? Sivakov's <laughs> <laughs> uh, in Gran Canaria. He actually uh oh, like it. <laughs> he went to uh he went to Russia for a small period uh around Christmas, New Year's time. 
And I was like, what are you doing going to Russia? Funnily enough, he actually had way better weather than me in Andorra. <laughs> right. Yeah, I <laughs> so saw Vlasov was me. there in St. Petersburg. I think he was getting married, though. But I was like, I, that must be so... I mean, I guess if you grew up there, you're kind of used to it and you come to Western Europe. Yeah, I think, I think, it's I think uh, Pavel was in Sochi and it was like 12, 15 degrees and like there were climbs and stuff and he was posting photos of almost in shorts. I was like, God damn, I'm here in all my winter bib tights and winter jackets and everything and weather's better in Russia. <laughs> so I posed this question on Instagram the other day and I think Andorra was the response a couple of times, but it was where in Europe is the best place to hold an, an altitude camp If and it, also if you were targeting the zero. And it really, where, where do you think it is? Because mm-hmm. it would really seem to just be Grand Canaria, Ortega, and uh, Sierra Nevada. Yeah, so I've n- never actually done a training camp in Teide. I've been to Tenerife and stayed by the coast, but I've never been at the hotel right. at the top. I've been to Sierra Nevada quite a few times. I quite like Sierra Nevada. They have that uh, sports training center at the top there called the car, and it's like a Spanish uh, center that was built when the Barcelona Olympics, I think, were on. Okay. And it's really well set up. You can go there. They have like dorm rooms. You use laundry machine. There's a big uh, like cafeteria food hall that you can go and have all your meals at. And there's a really big gym. Um, I think it's really well set up and you don't need to go there with a team. Like you can go there as an individual and you have all the facilities that you need. Uh, the airport is in Granada and it's 40 minute drive or an hour drive from the airport to the top of the mountain. And you stay at two three or two four so it's actually really quite high and the training in granada is pretty good and you normally have pretty nice weather um being in the south of spain is normally not too bad uh then andorra around pre-giro time can be good for sure but you also get a few snow days here i think in terms of weather wise sierra nevada and uh theta probably the better ones and then you can't really go much much more north like in Lavinio around that time i know uh, mitchelton and simon yates did some training camps in uh etna but i think there you're only at 1800 17 1800 meters and i think it's a bit more difficult to get to logistics wise yeah it's, it seems like a simple thing but then because there's so many mountains over 2000 meters in europe but then when you actually look at the infrastructure required and then do you really want your athlete going like doing a four hour transfer or three hour transfer, which also factors into recovery. It just yeah. seems like really pre zeros. They're the only two places, Nevada and Sierra Nevada and Tato, unless you come from Colombia, where yeah. it's yeah. always easier to do an altitude. Camp. I was actually really close to going to Colombia last year. Right. Uh, I was going to, I was going to go there after Paris-Nice to prepare for the Giro. I had maybe like a four-week block without racing or something, and I was three weeks. Um, and then obviously COVID happened and I never ended up going. But I think that's becoming more of a valid option. I think people haven't quite got it figured out yet. I know when uh, Ineos or Team Sky went, one year they end up frying a couple of guys when they were there and they came back and they just were a bit cooked for a while. Um, 
But I think if I was to choose for ease, I'd probably go to Sierra Nevada because the center's perfect. The airport transit is pretty easy. You hire a car and you drive to the top. You don't need a team. Or if you're taking a team, there's all the facilities there for setting up turbos if you need to train inside. There's a massive gym there with all the facilities that you need. There's big food hall and it's relatively cheap. I think if you're a Spanish Olympic prospect athlete, you can go there and it's something like 25 euro a night. And that includes all your meals, all the laundry you want, and you can stay there as yeah, like it's super cheap. I think for uh, like myself, I think if I go there as obviously not a Spanish athlete, um, it's like 70 euro a night and you get your dorm room. They come and clean it every single day. You get the laundry facilities. You get breakfast, lunch, and dinner. You have access to all the gym and it's relatively cheap. Yeah, I mean, that's I think the future. I, I don't know why more teams, I, maybe I'm missing it, but it seems like that is the easiest option and it's pretty affordable. Um, and maybe yeah. you only need to send three or four riders to do it. You don't need to send the whole team as well. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Columbia, I remember Philippe as well. I think he did it in 2019, went to Columbia, also raced there as well. Uh, and maybe yeah. Bob Jungels did as well. And I mean, who knows whether it cooked Jungels or seemed to work for Alaphilippe in 2019. Um, but yeah, it's just that logistics again of, of flying out there. All right, so is there you any... got the time zone as well. Yeah, that I makes know it it's just difficult. Yeah. all of that like adds up. Yeah, you need to, I think, factor in a few more extra days when you come back to Europe to get your body reset. Because especially like it's more or less hot there, hot and humid, and you come back to Europe, it's quite cold still that time of year. You got the jet lag, and it's just a bit more complicated. Well, yeah, Banal and Sosa, they always seem to go to Andorra, I think, for like five yeah. days minimum to acclimatize a little bit yeah. to Europe. So last question, what race do you reckon we should look out for and pencil in watching you having a real crack? Is it just for your own ambitions? We know you're probably going to go for stage tour, hopefully, but which one week is it? Catalonia? Yeah, so uh, Catalonia, I would really like to do well at that race. It's a race that I haven't done too often. But it's more or less my home race now that I live permanently in Andorra. It's just across the border. We literally ride 5K, 10K from the border of Andorra. So I'd really like to have a good go there. And then also probably in Dauphiné. I always really enjoy racing at Dauphiné. Um, And there's kind of that block in between as well as the Ardennes. That's sort of the three block of racing that I'd really like to do well at, um, sort of target. One, because Catalonia is a really nice race close to home. The Ardennes, I quite enjoy racing that style of long, hard one-day racing and its selection criteria for Olympics, which is a kind of a big goal for me this year. And then Dolphine is a preparation race for the tour. And if you do well there, you're in good shape going into the tour. So they're sort of the three key races for myself. Yeah, exactly. You look at who, who did well at the Dolphine last year. I mean, apart from Martinez who still won a stage in the tour, Camna. So, yeah, Camna won a yeah. stage. Coos did well. Martinez still did well in the tour. Like, it is it's yeah. pretty obvious. But, yeah, if you do well at the now, you'll be in good shape. Uh, yeah, you don't necessarily place. need to do well, like, winning GC, but you need to show yourself in a stage yeah. or something, like a Dauphiné, and show the form. Like, there's always people saying, oh, maybe you peaked well if you win Dauphiné GC or you try race for GC at Dauphiné. And 
like Adam Yates at Dolphin last year. He wasn't really around the mark, but he was slowly building up every single day. And then he got to the tour and had the yellow jersey. Yeah. I mean, yeah, for four days. And I think he even attacked, again, going back to what we said at the start of the pod, we won't rehash it. But Adam Yates, again, I think he's one of the only riders that attacked the Yumbo Visma train and just there was yeah. <laughs> nothing he could do. All right. Thanks, Jack, for coming on. Uh, once again, for the, LRC, for the LRCP, we'll be following you closely this year for Barring Victoria. Thanks, mate. I hope you enjoyed that interview with Jack Hay. Always good catching up with him. He's, uh, I think, his third appearance now on either the podcast or the YouTube, my main YouTube channel or a combination of those. Let us know down below what you think will happen with Bahrain Victorious this season and give the YouTube video a like. Or if you're watching or listening rather on a podcast player, give us a review on that podcast player or probably on Apple if the other places don't let you give a review somewhat a uh, problem with with those podcast players i'll try to speak to google but they haven't returned my emails yet thanks to benji and thanks for listening we bring out another preview in a couple of days ciao where's that dust coming from still finding debris after vacuuming ufe x10 pro omni robot vacuum has 8,000 pa of powerful suction to remove debris deep in carpets and it's totally hands-free. Want to know more? Go to eufy.com. That's E-U-F-Y.com and discover X10 Pro Omni, the best-in-class all-in-one robot vacuum for only $799.